So for the past couple weeks, we have been in this sermon series called Niche, and I wanted to begin today with a question. How many of you believe that God has a purpose for your life? If you would just say, you know what, I really do. I believe God's got a purpose for my life. Could I see your hand right now? Yeah, if you believe that, just hands up all over the auditorium. That's right. How many of you wish God would tell you what it is? (laughs) I spoke with a guy, it's been three weeks ago now, in his 50s, and he was changing careers, and he said, Pastor Andrew, I really wish I knew what I wanted to do when I grew up. (laughs) And and he's 50, and, and I know a lot of college students that they're changing majors, and they're trying to decide what in the world am I going to do? What am I going to be known for? And so I, I just believe, and one of the, the central points of this whole sermon series is that God absolutely does have a purpose for you. And He has one for me, and He has one for each and every one of us. And so in this series, we've been talking about that, and I came across this Really cute illustration. It's a little bit corny, so I just wanted to warn you. It's a little bit cornball, but it's called Animal School, and here's what it says. Once upon a time, there was some animals who decided to start a school for animals. They decided the courses would include running, climbing, swimming, and flying. Then they decided that all of the animals should develop all of the skills. Well, that's where the problems started. The duck was better than his teacher at swimming, but he only made passing grades in flying and was very poor at running. So they made him drop swimming and stay after school to practice running. This caused his web feet to be so badly worn and his grades dropped to average in swimming. The rabbit started at the top of his class in running, uh, in running, but because of so much makeup work and swimming, he caught pneumonia and had to drop out of school. That escalated quickly. The squirrel showed outstanding ability in climbing, but he was extremely frustrated in flying class because the teacher insisted that he had to start from the ground up instead of from the trees down. He developed Charlie horses from overextension, and so he only got a C in climbing and a D in running. Guys, the point of that, the point is really clear. A duck was made to be a duck, and you were made to be you. God designed you on purpose, and yet so often we find ourselves copying someone else or trying to be like someone else, and yet that's not God's plan for you. God made unoriginal and the reality is unoriginal always has more value than what than a copy unoriginal always has more value than a counterfeit so here's what we've been asking during this sermon series okay pastor andrew i believe i have a niche i believe i have a purpose what is it how do i find it well we've been looking at five clues five indicators of what that niche is, and we made it an acrostic. Let's go ahead and show that, guys. The first one is in. That week, that was the first week we talked about natural abilities. What am I good at? What are you good at? We are good at some things. God has wired us to where my strengths may not be your strengths, but but I have natural 
abilities. The next week was individuality. And, and really, we talked about personality. We looked at personality profile assessments, all those kinds of things. The next week was charisma. Now, during that week, we looked at spiritual gifts, and we put the spiritual gifts assessment on that niche profile that Sarah was referencing. That's online on the church website. So if you've missed a few weeks and you wanted to go back and do a little review and maybe take a personality assessment or take a spiritual gifts assessment, all of that's available online. And then last week, we looked at heart. We looked at heart. What's my passion? What am I passionate about? God has wired me so that my niche is also the place of my passion. And, and one of the things we saw is that when we're, when we're in our niche, it'll be a place, it'll be marked by enthusiasm. The root word of enthusiasm is in theos. That, that means literally in God. That when my God-given interests line up with my God-designed purpose, that there is heart, there is passion there. Nobody has to motivate me to be, want to be a part of that. I just want to be in on it. And so then that leads us to today, to, to round out this series, to finish the acrostic. We're talking about experiences experiences that everything you have been through has led you to today it's made you the person that you are the good and the bad now i know human nature is we all like the good times we love those mountaintop experiences mountaintop experiences give me good days but really and truly, we are shaped not only by the good things, but by the bad things. Not only by the good days, but by the bad days. Let me give you a couple examples. One good experience, when you bought your first home. That was incredible, wasn't it? That feeling, I'm a homeowner, yes, it's mine. Tell you what a bad experience was. It happened about two months later, when that first mortgage payment showed up. and You had to write that check. Tell you another good experience. When you found out you were pregnant. Yeah, we're having a baby. And you couldn't wait. And you told everybody. And you posted it all over Facebook. And you did a gender reveal. Kicked the football, whatever it was. It's a boy. And then the not so good part of that is a few months, several months later, you realized, whoa, this kid doesn't sleep. And you're up at night and you're like, man, I miss those days when me and sleep were friends. And when we hung out for about eight hours each night. Now, of course, I'm, I'm making light of that. I, again, we're shaped by our experiences. I got to tell you, when I looked at the calendar and I saw that the Christmas production was going to fall one week before the Christmas sermon series started, I panicked a little bit. It, it, felt, it felt like a strategic misfire. I don't know. It just was like, oh, man, these people are going to come, these grandmas and grandpas and uncles and aunts, and they're going to be so excited to see baby girl or baby boy up here on this stage. And then we're not even going to be starting a brand new series. We're not even going to be starting Christmas. We're going to be talking about experiences. 
And guys, I believe, one, we needed to do E because N-I-C-H doesn't spell anything. But two, I believe God spoke to me and said that there would be people who would come today and there are bad things that have happened in your life and it's easy to wonder why. You've tried to live for God. You've tried to do the right things. You've, you've tried to make good choices. And yet, these bad experiences are reality. I believe that God has a message for you today. And so I want to go ahead and jump into it. Number one, number one, the first thing I want to tell you is to evaluate your experiences. Evaluate your experiences People often say, you learn from experience. That's a lie. Because I know plenty of people that have done, done something really dumb. And then a little time passed, and they did that dumb thing all over again. How many know people like that? I've got a friend who, not long ago, he was dating a young lady that was bad news, and it was like, they would date, then they would break up, there would be all this heartache, there's all this tension, there's all this drama. And yet, no matter what I said, no matter what any of his other friends said, he went back to her. Why? Because he was in love. But he made really poor choices again and again and again. The truth is, we don't learn from experience, we learn from evaluated experience. When something goes good, asking the question, okay, that went really well. What can I learn from that? When something tanks, being honest about it and say, okay, I never want to experience that again. What can we do to make sure that doesn't happen? Well, Paul, he, he writes to the church in Galatia, and he says pretty much the same thing in the third chapter. In, in verse 4, look at what Paul says. Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? Paul is talking to the church at Galatia and he says, Guys, listen, you've got all these experiences. You've seen things. You know, you started out with God. And now what are you doing? You have left your first love. You've made wrong choices. Surely all those experiences of the past were not in vain. He is absolutely exasperated with the church in Galatia. Let me show it to you. I, I want to read beginning in verse 1. Paul says, you foolish Galatians. So he's not sparing any feelings here. You foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by what you heard? Well, this is a rhetorical question. They all knew. They were all on the same page. We received the Spirit by believing what we heard. We know that. We didn't start out with works of the law. And, and so they would have all been on the same page about that. So now go to verse 3. He says, Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain? 
if it really was in vain. And the truth is, if we don't learn from our experiences, then it really is in vain. Several years ago, all, all through my life, really growing up, my dad would tell me uh, this little account. He would say, <clears throat> one day there was a man with experience who met a man with money. Have you guys heard this? There was a man with experience who met a man with money, and after the two spent some time together, the man with the experience left with the money, and the man who had had the money left with the experience and he would say that and he would laugh because he could just see the whole encounter playing out. And then he would finish it up by saying, experience is a dear teacher. And that's true, but I want to add a little something else to that. Experience is a dear teacher if we will learn from it. If we'll learn from it. So I want to show you a couple kinds of experiences, six kinds of experiences you can learn from. And this is directly from Rick Warren. He's got amazing stuff, pastor of Saddleback Church. Here's what he says. One kind of experience you can learn, family experiences. What did you learn growing up in your family? Every one of us had a different reality, different mix with mom and dad, or maybe mom and dad weren't there. You grew up with grandma or grandpa or uncle or aunt. What can we learn from those family members, those experiences with family? Another one is educational experiences. What were your favorite subjects in school? What were you good at? What weren't you good at? What about student government? What about sports? What, what was your educational experience like and how can you learn from that another one vocational experiences the the jobs you've had what did you love you couldn't wait to go to work it didn't seem like work you got to the end of the day and it had just been a good day and and what kind of jobs have you had that maybe you just hated it maybe you're there now i sympathize with you Because what happens is when we hate our job, we constantly are what? Looking at the clock, can't wait for 5 o'clock. And when you're looking at your watch, the thing never moves, does it? And so vocational experiences, we can learn from that. I think about spiritual experiences. What have been your most meaningful times with God? When, When did you worship Him? And you felt like you were already in heaven. Was it a personal time of worship? Was it, was it here? Was it a style of worship? I'll just tell you for me, one of the reasons why I always sit on the front row, with the exception of today when they roped it off, they had no respect for the pastor's assigned seating. But one of the reasons why I always sit on the front row is because it's just me and God. There's nothing else. And, and I don't know if you can tell, anytime you get a church with any size, there are people who are getting up and having to use the restroom or kids who have been naughty in the nursery and parents who are having to go out. And, and so I love being able to, but what is that time for you? What was that spiritual experience? When did you read scripture and it, it just felt like, whoa, I understand it for the first time. When did you pray and you felt like, Wow, I have got God's ear. 
Those experiences help mold us and shape us. Another kind is ministry experiences. How have you served God in the past? And then the last one, those painful experiences. These are those experiences we don't like to talk about or think about. They, they hurt. What problems, hurts, and trials have you learned from? You know, I said it earlier, but for some of us, it's been painful. You've, you've lost a job. Or, or maybe you've lost a loved one. I know that there have been a lot of folks in the church recently who have lost loved ones. That's absolutely painful. Maybe, maybe that's not the painful experience you've been through most recently. Maybe somebody said something to you. And it really wounded you. And you've been trying to play it off. And you've been trying to act like it didn't bother you. And you've been trying to not let them know, not let them in on it. But it hurt. It was painful. I've got good news. Even in those painful experiences, God can bring something good from it. God can bring something good from it. As a matter of fact, He actually promises us that and so the second thing i want to give you the second point is that god promises to use your experiences for good god promises to use your experiences for good there is a a little caveat there though if you're in relationship with him if you know jesus as your personal lord and savior now we can be sure of that because of the words of romans 8:28 if you haven't underlined that verse in your Bible, might I suggest that you do that. It is one that you need for quick reference. Here's what it says. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. I want to read that one more time. And we know that in what? All. What, is, what does all mean there? means all. It means everything. It means that there is nothing that could happen to you that God cannot work for good. I want to teach on this verse a little bit. Again, I told you at the very outset that there is this caveat. And so the first thing you need to understand, the first thing you need to know is that this verse is specifically for those who love God. It is for those people who are in a relationship with with God. If you are not in a relationship with Jesus, if you don't know Him as your Savior, we're going to give you an opportunity to before you leave today. In addition to having eternal life and heaven being your home, in addition to an abundant life here on this earth, God promises us that when we have that level of relationship with Him, that He will work these things for good in our life. I want to show you something else, though. In this verse, it says that He will work all things for good. But it doesn't say that everything that happens to you is good. And, and somebody needs to hear me say that today. That there have been things that have happened in your life, and they are bad. That it, they are decidedly bad. There is nothing good about what happened in your life, sir. There is nothing good about that moment. 
But God promises us that we don't have to stay in that moment. We don't have to remain in that hurt if we will trust Him with it. He sees the bigger picture. He's got the master plan all laid out. God knows the future and His desires will be accomplished. Isaiah 46.10 God promises us, I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come, I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. The reality is, that there is nothing that has happened in your life that caught God off guard. Now, God didn't necessarily bring it to your life. God's not the one who caused it. But, but there's nothing that has happened to Andrew or Ivan or Beverly. There's nothing that has happened to any of us that heaven said, Whoa, didn't see that one coming. The reality is that God knows, and even though it might be hurtful, even though it might be painful, He can work it together for good. He can weave it into the tapestry of your life and bring good from it. I think about the Old Testament example of Joseph. His story begins in Genesis chapter 37, and in Joseph's life, Joseph dealt with some some pain. Joseph saw some bad days. Scripture tells us that he was rejected by his family. God gave Joseph this dream. Joseph is excited. Joseph goes and tells his family. And his brothers are jealous. His dad and mom, they don't know what to think about it. God's given him this dream that he is going to be great. And his family rejects him. And then a little while after that, his brothers actually sell him into slavery. They they find some merchants and they sell Joseph into slavery. Bad day. Dark day. Then while he's in slavery, he goes to the house of a man named Potiphar. and, And he loves it there. It's going well there. But then one day, Potiphar's wife comes and propositions Joseph. Well, Joseph, again, clean hands, pure heart. He's a man of integrity. He's a good man. And yet these bad things keep happening to him. She propositions him. He tells her no. And so nobody tells her no. She is one of the highest ranking officials in her area. Uh, Her husband is Potiphar. Don't you know who I am? People don't tell me no. And so she actually goes to her husband and says, he propositioned me. She lies, gets him thrown into prison. I could go on and on and on with the story of Joseph. The point is clear. Guys, we can love God and serve God, but we live in a sin-cursed world. Scripture tells us that it rains on the just and the unjust. And if you live long enough, and I don't want to be a prophet of doom here, but if you live long enough, you'll have some bad experiences. It doesn't mean that God's left you or forsaken you or that somehow you're not living in His purpose. It may just mean that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and so that there's pain and suffering in this earth and it's absolutely 
a reality. Let me finish out the story of Joseph. So Joseph finds himself through a lot of things. Read Genesis 37 through 50. Through a series of events, Joseph finds himself in a position of power. And in that moment, his brothers come to him and they don't recognize him, but they need something from him. Now Joseph has all the power. He can do anything he wants. He could get revenge on them. He could have them thrown into prison. He could sell them into slavery. He could say, see, how does that feel? But in that moment, you know what Joseph does? He does this, verse 20 of Genesis chapter 50. He tells them, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph, in that moment, forgives his brothers. He's evaluated his experiences. He has, he's realized that God has weaved all of this into a pattern for good. Just really quickly, let me kind of set the stage. So God gives Pharaoh this dream. None of his court, none of his people can interpret this dream. God gives Joseph the interpretation of this dream. And what it meant was that there were going to be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of lack, seven years of famine. And so God had graced Joseph to be able to oversee this feeding program. So for the first seven years, they saved food, saved grain, put things back. And then when the seven years of famine came, they were able to not only just survive, they were able to help out neighboring regions because God had forewarned them about what was going to happen. Joseph, again, he evaluates his experiences. He realizes that God has done this great thing, that many lives have been saved. And so, in that moment where he could have done anything, he shows his brother's mercy. Let me read verse 21. He says, So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Again, not everything you go through is pleasant. There are bad things. And yes, they happen to even good people. But God promises us that He will never waste a hurt. I don't know who I heard say that for the first time, but it has been such a part of my vocabulary. God never wastes a hurt. Through the good and the bad, God is weaving all of that together for good. He is weaving all of that together so that you can find your niche and your purpose and you can minister to others. As I finish out, I want to read the next verse. So we've been talking about Romans 8.28. Well, there's another verse after that that really sets the stage. Here's what it says. Let me read verse 28 again. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And then here's verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. 
There's a lot there theologically that we can unpack. I do not have the time to do that. The thing I want to make sure you see, God says He works all things together for good for those who love Him. So you're a believer. You know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then the next verse says, why? Why does He do that? So that we might be conformed to the image of His Son. So that the next thing that happens, God's desire for us is that not only would we be saved, but we would be sanctified. That once we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, our lives would be marked by every day we're becoming more and more like His Son. We're becoming more and more Christ-like. The way I want to end uh, this whole series is by offering you an opportunity to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. I, I want to pray a prayer in just a moment. And if God's been speaking to you today, if you feel the Holy Spirit stirring, you know, I don't know if I'm ready. I, I don't know. If I were to die today, I, I, I honestly don't know. I couldn't say what my eternity would, would hold. God wants to give you a blessed assurance. You can know that you know. We can be saved. So if you would, every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to pray a prayer. You don't have to necessarily pray it with me out loud, but if you pray this and mean it in your heart, you can be saved right there where you sit this morning. Say this, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus. I believe that He died on a cross for me. That He lived a perfect life. That on that cross, He took my punishment. And now, I get His righteousness. I pray that you would forgive me of my sins. I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to come live in my heart. I want to be saved I want to live for you for the rest of my life with every head still bowed and every eye still closed if that's you today if you made that decision for the very first time would you slip your hand up right now really high not going to embarrass anyone not going to call you down front amen amen awesome Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, it, it is our desire that now as we move forward as believers in Christ, as we move forward knowing that we are yours, Lord, that you would help us to find our niche. God, I just believe that, that this series is to help us get motivated, to get going. God, that, that you would stir in each one of us a passion to not only know what we're good at, but to get busy doing it for the cause of Christ so that many more might be saved in these last days. God, give us a fire and a passion to do what it is you've called us to do as we begin to serve you in our niche. Pray it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Amen.